and welcome to the FBC Sermon Podcast. Today's sermon is titled, The Idolatry of Pride by Lily So, and was based on Philippians 2, 5 through 11. We hope you enjoyed today's sermon. It's good to see all of you here in the church this morning, all of us worshiping the Lord together. It is so precious to be in the house of the Lord. The title of my message this morning is The Idolatry of Pride. The Idolatry of Pride. Some may think it's strange. How can pride be an idol? I don't know if any of you had that thought. Now, we may think of food as an idol because we love it so much and we can't give it up. Or if God is saying, hey, I want you to do some fasting next week or something, and you kind of struggle with it. So food can be an idol because it has a hold on us. Or we can idolize our professor or a celebrity. But you know, pride can be an idol because when we know we have it and we somehow struggle to let it go or we somehow refuse to let it go. And I can imagine why pride is so, we we may find it hard to let go of pride. Because for many of us or some of us, Pride has become our self-identity. It is something that we have built around us to to protect us, to give us us self-esteem. It makes us feel significant. And it can also be a manifestation of our success and our abilities. So what is pride? I think a lot of us know the definition of pride. But I'm not going to give a totally, uh, a total uh, exhaustive definition, but just a few important ones. What is pride? It is a mindset and an attitude. It's a focus on self, me, and what I think. It is arrogance. And what is arrogance? Some of us may may think. You know, there's sometimes for me when I use a word, I kind of think that I know the meaning of it. But when somebody asks me, what does that mean? And I struggle to define it. Then my my brother told me once, he says, when you struggle to define it, you don't know the meaning. (laughs) So what is arrogance? Arrogance is having an exaggerated sense of one's importance and abilities. An exaggerated sense. In Leviticus chapter 26, verse 19, the adjective associated with pride is stubborn, stubborn pride. So stubborn means we refuse to budge. I'm right and there is no other way. Or even if I'm wrong, pride in me tells me to insist that it is my right to remain wrong. So what? Stubborn, stubborn, stubborn pride. Now in the book of Genesis, we see the creation story and we see that humans were created in the image of God. 
One of the attributes that God created in us is ego. Now, don't be shocked. Let me explain. Ego. When we think of ego, we usually, for some of us, we, uh, we associate words with our experiences, with things that have happened before. Uh, and so some of us think that ego is a negative thing because we associate it with pride. We associate it with arrogance, self-centered ambition. But think about it. If God created it within us, it must have been positive. I personally think that ego, in its original state, was meant to be a strong and healthy sense of who we are because of who we belong to. Who is God? The God we serve is the creator God, and I belong to him. I am his child, so I know my identity. It is a healthy and a wholesome identity. We were created to have godly self-confidence. Now for the guys, what does that mean? It may mean a strength that is within you, a sense of responsibility to provide, to lead, and to protect your family, your wife, your children. That healthy, positive ego that God created within you and I. But when Adam and Eve chose to disobey God and sin, this positive ego became one of self-centeredness about me, how I feel, what I want, what I choose. It became one of envy. I know better than God. Now, why do I say that? Because Adam and Eve, when they chose to sin and disobey what God told them to do, not to touch that tree of good and evil, they decided, that, hey, oh, the devil told them, uh, oh, yeah, it's good for you. And, oh, yeah, okay. All right, I'll make a decision. I'll eat it. So I know better than God, which translates to us today as I know better than him. I know better than her. I have my rights. This is my right. I do what I choose. Don't tell me what to do. You know, I fall under that too. I struggle with that because we live in a society that tells us we're free to choose. We're free to do what I want. It is my right, my freedom. Don't tell me what to do. And within the church, we struggle with that too. So originally, it was created to be good, a positive, godly self-confidence. Now, we see the evidence of pride in everyday life. So bear in mind, I'm talking about the idolatry of pride. Sometimes it's subconscious. It may not even be you may not even be conscious of it or subconscious, or some of us know we have it, but we just can't let it go because it's so closely associated and tight with my identity, my self-esteem. So I'm going to give a few examples of, of what pride looks like in everyday life. And if you see one or two or more that you identify with, just in your heart, say, ouch. You enjoy bragging about your successes, or you enjoy bragging about what you know. You get a thrill from telling people what they don't know. Or 
I don't really care that my attitude offends or hurts you because I'm certain that I am right. I don't really like to take instructions or I don't really care for feedback because I know what I'm doing. Sometimes you may say it out loud, out loud because you're vocal, but sometimes you try to be polite, you don't say it, but it's in your heart, in your thoughts. I know better than you. Or, I don't know less than you. So what does that mean? A lot of times we say, I think I know better than you. Ah, oh, don't tell me that. Sometimes it's not that. Sometimes it's, I don't know less than you. Simply put, I know what you know. What you know, you know, it's nothing new to me. Nothing revelational. Or you're driving. I don't see it so much here in Amherst, uh, but I used to live in a big city in Singapore. Or here, if you travel to Boston, New York City or something, you're driving your car in a big city and then a car overtakes you. Do you say, oh, please, come, come in front of me. Oh, please, take over, overtake me. What is it that rises up within you? Please do not raise your hands or admit it. But I can do an honest confession. Sometimes I say, I am not going to let you overtake me. I start, I start to accelerate. Oh, the confession is good for the soul. God forgive me. I used to, there was once in Singapore, I told myself, I said, Lord, you know what? If I don't repent and you don't change me, I don't think I want to drive anymore. I used to get upset driving. Why? Because Singapore drivers are so impatient. They honk at you. They don't let you pass. You're needing to exit the ramp and then you forgot and you try to signal. And, and they, when you signal, they drive faster than you because they refuse to let you go. So big cities are not so fun sometimes. But it just, but just it allows me to see the ugliness that is within me. Anyways, is that an ouch for you too? You're in an intense conversation. Intense. And you're getting a little upset. Have you ever thought about it in your heart? I'm so going to sock it to her. Do you use this expression? I use it a lot in Singapore. Sock it. I'm going to sock it to her. Who does, she, who does she think she is? There was once I had a, I don't know, I think maybe I've shared this story before. There was once I had a conversation, pretty intense conversation with a supervisor. To me, this person was often unreasonable and unpleasant. Okay, to me, all right? I probably was at fault, fault many times, but to me, he was unreasonable, unpleasant, and there was one exchange. I just couldn't take it anymore. There was one exchange, and I was about to sock it to him. And the interesting thing was that morning before I went to work, I, had, I was doing my prayers and reading the, God's word, and uh, God gave me a verse in Colossians. Beautiful verse. I was so excited and I was so blessed. Thank you, Lord. And the Lord was telling me. It, it, so I'm not going to tell you what the verse is first. So I was so blessed. And I came to work and there was this intense. And this is the first time in my life I decided I am so going to speak my mind. I am so going to tell him what I think. It's my freedom to tell him what I think. It is my choice. And if I were to quit after this, so be it. So I decided to do it. And I was about to open my mouth. 
The Lord says, do not say a thing. The verse that you read this morning is for this moment and right now. I, t- I, t- I was in shock. I totally zipped my lips. You know what a verse in Jis was saying? The verse was saying, die to yourself, for you have an eternal reward in heaven. That was the gist of the verse. Die to yourself, because you have an eternal glory and reward in heaven. Wow, right there when the Lord spoke to me, I zipped my lips, I looked down, and I said, yes. And whatever the person said, I said, yes. Okay, okay. Wow, humility. It's not easy, but you know, if you're willing to yield to it, the blessings, the healing, the restoration that can come from it. Another illustration of pride is you're in an exchange, you're in a conversation, but you keep interrupting the other person. The person is trying to explain themselves, but you keep interrupting. No, 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 it's like this. No, yeah, no, and you keep interrupting. To argue, to state your point, you're so insistent, you're so determined to make the other person see that you are right and she is wrong. Ouch. I think of the story of David and Saul. If you're familiar with the story of David and Saul and the character of Saul, you kind of know that Saul was a very competitive person, very insecure, because people were praising David and people were saying, oh, Saul killed his thousands, David killed his tens of thousands. So Saul, competitive, insecure, he was proud. He thought, I am king. He thought he knew better than the prophet Samuel. I'm not going to go into that, but you know, the Samuel said, "Oh, wait for me. Uh, we're going to. Uh, I'm, I'm going to offer the offering to the Lord. You wait for me." But Samuel was a little late, and then he started thinking, "Samuel's late. I, I'm anxious. We should do it. We should do it. I'm king. I, I, can, I can do that." And he decided that he was going to offer the offering. He knew better than the prophet, and when everything came to a heat, he sought to kill David. He sent his men to hunt down David and to kill David. So just imagine the person and the character and the personality of Saul. David's men were ready to kill Saul. Let's get him. Let's get him. Let's take him down. Because God has called you to be king. What did David say? What did David say? Touch not the Lord's anointed. That's amazing. He is such an unpleasant character. He he deserves to be put down. David was already prophesied to be the next king. And and David told his men, do not touch the Lord's anointed. And he was so convicted when he cut off the the little piece of cloth from, from, uh, from Saul's robe. Because if you know the story, Saul was hunting down David with his men. He decided he needed to go to the bathroom. So he went into the cave, he relieved himself, and he didn't know David and his men were in the cave. And David just kind of crept behind him, and he didn't even hear him. That's how stealthy David was, how, how uh, he was totally a, a warrior. He was so quiet, he just cut off the piece of cloth, and he, and he said, my father, and he called him my father. My father, my father, I could have killed you, but I didn't. 
Because the Lord says, touch not the Lord's anointed. Saul, no matter how bad he was, God had appointed him king as that time, uh, for, that, for that time. And David says, I will not touch him because of the position that God has given to him. Wow, the humility of David, who was the next king, over, overdue. The humility of David. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, tells us, that, tells us this. Pride leads to destruction. Arrogance leads to downfall. Pride leads to destruction. It destroys us. Arrogance leads to our downfall. Yet so many of us, we hold on to it. And like I said, it's because we've tied it to our self-esteem. We've tied it to our definition of success and our intelligence and our, our abilities. Charles Stanley, a pastor and author, he said this, no one enjoys feeling weak, whether it is emotionally, spiritually, or physically. There is something within a human spirit that wants to resist the thought of weakness. Many times, this is nothing more than our human pride at work. Just as weakness carries a potential, a great, just as weakness carries a great potential for strength, pride carries an equally great potential for defeat. J.C. Ryle, some of you may know him, a writer, a pastor, and the first Anglican, First Anglican Bishop of Liverpool, he said this, pride comes from not knowing yourself and the world. The older you grow and the more you see, the less reason you will find for being proud. Ignorance and inexperience are the pedestal of pride. Once the pedestal is removed, Pride will soon come down. So I've talked a lot about pride and arrogance. What about the opposite? What is the antonym of pride? Humility. Humility. Proverbs 11 verse 2 tells us, when pride comes down, sorry, let me rephrase that. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. With humility comes wisdom. So if I were to ask every, every one of you here, who wants to be wise? Who wants to be wise? I see hands just going all over. I am sure every one of us want to be wise. But in order to be wise, Proverbs 11.2 tells us, it must first come with humility. We must first be humble. John Golden Gay, a scholar and my professor at Fuller Theological Seminary. I was in one of his classes. I love his class, amazing professor. And he said to our class one day, he said, the more I know, the more I don't know. I thought that was pretty profound. 
I, I just love certain quotes or phrases from people that, that really impacts me and I usually do not forget it. The more I know, the more I don't know. Now, John did not just have a, have, have a PhD. He's still alive. He's back in England. He has a doctorate in divinity. He was a pastor. He was a Hebrew language scholar. He was an Old Testament scholar. He was principal of a theological college. He was, a, he was author of books. But he was so sincere when he said it. And he would often learn from his students. Because I was in, when I was in class one day, I had this student, you know, he came in with his scruffy t-shirt and his shorts, his summer in California, right? So then with his flip flops and he kind of, it's interesting, I come from an Asian culture. You don't just like sit in front and then hang up your legs and then let your professor look at your legs and you at the same time and he was kind of folding his legs like that. I said, oh my gosh, I said, this is so disrespectful, but maybe it's just my culture, I don't know. But this guy was saying something really good and then here came Dr. John Golden Gate. He says, oh my gosh, that is so good, he said. I didn't know that, he said. When I, I, I just sat back and observed the whole scene and I realized how humble my professor was. A string of accomplishments and abilities just, just behind him, stringing behind him. And he was sincerely saying that, oh my God, that is so great. Do you mind if I use it in one of my classes sometimes when I teach? The guy said, sure. And he was like so thrilled that the professor said that. The more I know, the more I don't know. Humility is not something we do. It is a mindset. It is, it is an attitude. It is a decision to be vulnerable. A lot of people don't like to reveal a lot of us, okay, let's just put me into it. A lot of us don't like to reveal our humanity and our weaknesses. We don't want to be vulnerable. But humility says, I let you see my weakness. And it's okay. It does not make me a lesser person. There is a total difference between godly self-confidence and pride. And there is a total difference between low self-esteem and humility. They're two different things. I don't have time to elaborate on it, but they are fascinating and they're totally different because a lot of people mix the two up together and think that humility is when I put myself down or some people think that godly self-confidence is pride or I have pride, but actually I have godly self-confidence. There's a difference. The passage for today is Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11. And I want to briefly look at it, see how Jesus modeled humility for us. Jesus was the epitome of humility. In verse 5, it says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now, now most Greek texts have this, have this active form of, the, of, of, uh, of this uh, of the phrase that says, NIV translates it having the mindset as Christ Jesus. But if we phrase it in the active form, it can, it can say this, you think this in you as Christ did. You think this in you, think this. And this implies that in our relationship with one another, 
we must, we must translate this into action. This mindset, this what I think in my mind, what I've become, because think this in you, that was what Christ thought. And remember, it has to do with our relationship with each other. And that's what verse 5 is saying. In your relationship, Paul was telling the Philippian church, the believers. Now, verse 6, who in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used in his own advantage. Now, he was in very nature, he was being in very nature God. First, he has the form of God. That is another word that we can use to describe it. But he didn't consider it. He didn't even think about it. He had every right. Remember with pride, sometimes we use the word, I have my rights. So Jesus had every right to hold on to his position as, as equal with God. He could have said, why do I have to die for these sinners? Why do I have to become a lowly servant, unappreciated, despised, and die such a cruel death? Why do I have to do it? There was absolutely no good reason for him to give up his glory. But he did. And verse 7, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. He, became, he made himself nothing. And the first Chinese phrase that came to my mind is, 你什么都不是。当你在吵架的时候,你说,你什么都不是。Sorry, I just said, when you are maybe fighting or quarreling with somebody or arguing with something, maybe in your heart or maybe in your lips, you're saying, you're nothing. That is such a horrible, harsh, and cruel thing to say to someone else, isn't it? But Jesus made himself nothing. And nobody likes to be nothing because it's hard to be nothing because no one looks at you. No one values you. No one pays attention to what you do and what you say. Yet Jesus chose to become nothing. He chose to put down his deity. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Now it takes a self-confident person, but a humble person who's fully aware of his identity to be able to do this. Jesus knew his mission and the greater good. He chose to become nothing by becoming a servant. Is it easy for you and I to be a servant today, to serve one another, to serve your husband, to serve your spouse, to serve your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your students, your professor, your colleague, your mom, Verse 8 says, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Now, verse 8 uses the one word to describe all that Jesus did. Humble. He humbled himself. Keyword. And now, as we look at the passage, verses 5 to 8, it's not the end. Thank God. Verses 9 to 11 Describes the bless, uh, describe the blessing and the reward that God bestowed upon Jesus for his attitude and for his conduct. Therefore, whenever you see the word therefore, just think about what is the word, 
therefore. So therefore has to be connected to all the verses that are, not all, but the passage that is the verses that are before that. And so it is a connective word. It links to the next paragraph of the Bible. So therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. And God gave him the name that is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee must bow and every tongue acknowledge and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it awesome? God exalted him because of his humility. The name above every name. Now this honor exaltation has a meaning of super exalt exaltation. So in the Greek, it has this super exalt. That's what it means. He was super exalt as opposed to the lowest place of the cross. He was obedient. He was humble to the end. And Jesus was given the highest honor. Pride can be a daily battle and a daily decision. How do we triumph over it? In conclusion, I would like to share some practical ways we can recognize and reject pride in us. Do a self-check. Don't overanalyze. Don't kill yourself. Don't put yourself down and beat yourself down. But do a self-check. Oh, was that com comment or that action a prideful one? Do a self-check. Or you can ask yourself the question, am I promoting peace by what I just did and say, uh, said? Am I promoting peace? How do my thoughts, actions, or, or words affect my relationship with uh, the other person? Ask yourself this question. If it is negative, it brings misery, it brings pain, unhappiness, uneasiness, it breeds competition, fighting, quarrels, arguments. I hate to say this then pride is present. And how do I know if I have pride or godly self-confidence? Look at the outcome. Godly self-confidence brings joy, healing, beautiful relationships. It does no harm to self or others. So just a few things that we can do to check ourselves every day. Humility heals us. It provides relation, it promotes relationships. Let this mindset be in us. And God sees what we do. He vindicates, he rewards, and he exalts the humble. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you are interested in learning more about what we do here at FBC, please visit our website, fbcamers.org. Also, consider subscribing to this podcast so you can get a notification when our weekly sermons are posted. Again, thank you for listening to this podcast. Have a great day.